Welcome to the Heads Up for Tales podcast. I'm Rashi Narang, your host and also the founder at Heads Up for Tales. I know that the relationship you have with your pet is one of the most fulfilling kinds of love that you can experience. And I also know that your pets deserve the best life that you can give them. This podcast is dedicated to understanding our pets better so we can enrich their lives. And each week, I'll be sharing my learnings as well as bringing on experts to give us more insight on pet care, nutrition, grooming, training and more for both dogs and cats at every life stage. I hope you find great value in this podcast and it helps strengthen the bond that you have with your pet companions. Hi, Sindhur. Welcome to the Heads Up for Tales podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking to you about these topics and talking about dogs. Lovely. So the topic today I really wanted to discuss with you was about dog collars and harnesses. Um, forever growing up um, and, you know, through time, that one accessory that's always been used on every dog is a collar. Um, and that's just how it's been, you know, to be able to control them, to be able to just walk them, uh, to maybe keep them safe, uh, you know, and in so many different ways, it's just it's just that one product that's always on. Uh, but I see so many new lines of thought. I've studied with you and, um, you know, also we've discussed how that's probably not the best thing. Um, and there's so many, so much research actually challenging it. So I wanted to really talk about that and share those learnings with other people. Can you talk to us about the outcomes of walking your dog on a collar versus a harness and overall your views on the thing? Sure. So I think that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an idea that is probably as old as time itself, uh, because if you go look at your cave paintings, if there are domesticated animals there, particularly dogs, you're going to see a picture of somebody tying something around the neck and holding this thing, because it just, it's just so easy to do. So, and I think, so it's become very natural for us, but we live in a modern day and age where there is a lot of science and evidence emerging that tells us that not all of our ancient practices are the best, right? And some things we have to let go. And I think the, the collar and the harness debate is heating up quite a bit with a lot of people coming from the angle of anatomy, as well as people coming from the angle of behavior and welfare. So all three kind of coming together to say, hey, I don't think this is the right thing to do. Now, before I get into like details, and I don't want to bore you with anatomy details. Uh, if you come into my class, I'll happily bore you with it. But uh, I'll simplify it and, uh, and give you the basic thing, right? If you put your hand on your neck and push it, and you see how quickly uncomfortable it gets. Same thing you do anywhere else, it's not going to get anywhere close to that uncomfortable. And that's not uh, random. That is by design. Nature has designed this so that you feel more pain here. Or if you put your hand in your eye and push, you will feel a lot of pain. Why? Because these are very sensitive areas and they can damage so quickly and there's going to be irreparable tissue damage. That is what happens in the neck. And this is true of any mammal with a neck. The neck is literally the most vulnerable part of the body. And if you don't believe me, think about where does an animal that wants to kill another animal, where do they go for? All the neck. Right? What we call the jugular. 
Why? Because this is a very efficient way to kill. It's so, such a morbid thing for me to say. But the neck, we now realize, is extremely vulnerable. This is something that we actually all know. If I want to strangle somebody, I hope I never want to strangle somebody, but if I want to, I can't strangle them around their arm or their hip or whatever. It is the neck. Vital organs not protected by bone. Not like this. Here, vital organs protected. Here, your, your lungs and hearts, ribcage, protected by bone. Here, no. Though there are muscles, they're all on the back. Nothing on the front here. Very, very, very exposed. So that's kind of the basic fundamental anatomy part of it. But this is something that now studies, they're doing studies to say, oh, if it's that vulnerable, that means if you put a collar and pull, will there be uh, long-term and short-term damage? And we are now seeing study after study after study that's saying, yes, short-term and long-term damage, ranging, range of things, ranging from hypothyroidism to glaucoma to uh, leg pain to shoulder pain, all of that coming from the neck. So I think all of that, I mean, that's such a, you know, it's such a vast topic that I'm struggling to keep it brief. But I think the point that I'm trying to make is the data today is pointing us towards reconsider this old piece of equipment, move to something new, move to something that's more ergonomically sound. Uh, we don't wear uh, chapels and uh, do marathon running, right? Uh, we now have new shoes that understand ergonomics, understand arch support and things like that. So similarly with dogs, I think we have to look at what is the modern equipment that's being used the world over, particularly in parts of Europe and things like that, where um, their, the scientific approach is a lot uh, more rigorous. What is uh, ergonomically sound? What is good for movement? Uh, and that kind of brings us to some of these harnesses. And before we move more into harnesses, Sindhur, could you also elaborate more on what are the long-term effects of chronic pulling against a collar? Yeah. And, you know, does it even, can that eventual pain also lead to temperament issues? Yeah, absolutely, Rashi. I think that's a, that's a good question and it's a very difficult question to answer because it's, it's, it's got a very wide range of things that it leads to in the long run. And if I have to kind of uh, explain to you why it uh, ends up there, you know, I'll really have to do a deep dive on anatomy, which we kind of don't have time to. So I'll just skip to the end. Uh, but if, if you are intellectually curious about this, I'd love to answer questions on this. So we can, uh, we, we can, we have seen that it leads to anything from uh, sort of the windpipe collapse, reduce oxygen in the body. We all know how terrible that is, right? A low oxygen supply in the body because of a windpipe collapse, uh, a tongue bone fractured, uh, hypothyroidism, uh, immunity dropped because there's lymph nodes and thymus there. So, you know, increased allergies, infections kind of you never realize where it's coming from. You never guess it has to do with the collar, um, uh, sh shoulder and front leg pain because it, it's kind of, uh, you know, the spinal cord goes in there uh, and the nerves that come to the front legs um, come from here. So, you know, a dog may be licking the paw and we may never realize that, hey, this might be coming from collar damage, um, can be headaches, uh, can be increased pressure in the eyes and the brain, uh, death of brain cells because there's, you know, reduced oxygen going up to the brain and eyes uh, and de deoxygenated blood is kind of not returning. So uh, you can see that happening. And a lot of this leads to, I mean, the, it, the range can go from immediate death to something that the dog lives with for the entire life. Spondylosis uh, or spondylitis, both can happen, bone spurs and things like that in the neck. 
Um, and sometimes we don't even know that this has happened to the dog. So the dog can live their entire life in silent pain and we don't know. Um, in one case, uh, this lady was doing a uh, full body scan uh, towards the end of the dog's life because the dog was dying of organ failure and they were doing these scans. And that's when they realized the dog had um, a spinal issue. Uh, they didn't even know and it was too late. So these kind, it's not like your dog is going to turn up and say, ouch, head is hurting or ouch, you know, neck is hurting. Um, so a lot of that can happen. And because the dog starts living in discomfort, you can start seeing a lot of issues like uh, aggression, fear, um, food fadism, if your tongue bone is cracked, unable to eat, funny behaviors around food, hiding food and caching food. So they all may look highly unrelated, um, but um, I think these are these all can link back to um, and, and postural change, gait change walking, you know, how they uh, how they carry their neck because dogs, interestingly, they walk on their neck. If you think about it, our neck is not involved in moving, walking, because we don't walk on our front legs. Right. Dogs do, which means that their neck is involved in movement. Yes. So even that can uh, change, leading to arthritis and things like that, you know, long-term joint and bone impact also. So it's so wide. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, what I've learned through the years is how well they hide pain, to be honest. And like, they just don't let you know that they're in pain until the very end. And, you know, with all of these conditions that you mentioned, I think most people walk their dogs on collars because they just don't know. And yeah. it will be wonderful for us to um, maybe share some small ways of assessing where our dog is at present in the sense of, are they in pain? How do we, how do we figure that out? Uh, because like you said, it can lead to so many different kinds of issues and which are so far away from just the neck i mean things yeah. like food aggression you know could be related to um, issues around the neck and the severe pain that the dog is in how do we judge and how do we find this out uh, quite honestly rashi i don't think it's easy to uh, figure it out i think we need a, a, an army of professionals actually to figure it out because some of these don't even present clinically they present more behaviorally uh, when i say don't present clinically that means that even a vet can't diagnose a lot of these because they're not visible um, they're not testable very easily and i don't think it is one of those things where we say um, you know once my dog is in pain i will uh, try to um, uh, you know change the equipment it's preventive you do that upfront so what i tell people is yes uh, these equipments are all uh, safety equipments uh, uh, like your car seat belt Right now, you're not going to say I'm going to wear the seatbelt around my neck, and if there is enough evidence that it does hurt, uh, then I will actually change it, you know, and put it around my chest. There's a reason why it kind of runs around the chest and the torso because it's, this is kind of a stronger area to hold, right? And that's the same idea behind a harness. So, to me, um, you know, if anybody asks, do you think it's time to change a harness? When is a good time to change to a harness? My answer always is yesterday. Yeah, it should have happened. You know, I, with my dogs, not even for a second, I don't put them, you know, with, uh, I don't allow anybody to pull them on a collar because some of these things, it takes a single whiplash injury to have issue for life that we don't even realize. I don't want to risk that at all. 
Yes, absolutely. And then irreversible, you know, even if you're diagnostic, like a hypothyroidism or a, or a you know, tongue bone fracture or a collapsed trachea, they're irreversible. So what is the point at which you're actually going to turn around and say, okay, now I'm going to stop taking the risk? Absolutely. Gosh, I hope, uh, I hope that this reaches many, many people and we're all able to shift from collars to harnesses, especially while walking when it is a time that dogs pull. I know a lot of pet parents say that, you know, my dog is uncomfortable being on a harness 24-7. So even for me at home, I have the dogs on a collar with their ID tags just yeah. so that they're there. But every time we step out of the house, they jump into their harnesses and that's how it will always be. So yeah. Thank you so much for sharing this. My pleasure. Very, very insightful piece of information with us. Um, it yes, was lovely having you. And I hope that we get chances to have many, many more conversations and help build uh, connections where people can really come closer to their pets and help them live their best life. Sure, Rashi. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, you know, just a parting word on this. Um, it's okay if you're going to keep your dog on a collar with a name tag on it. But please remember it's a piece of clothing. Change it, wash it, clean it. Okay, it has to breathe under. Uh, you don't keep any other piece of equipment on you all the time. And the second thing is, if the harness isn't working, try different ones. Sometimes some products don't work for dogs, so try a different one. And the third thing I'm going to say is, a harness is not replacement for getting the dog to learn how to walk on a leash. It's not going to make the dog pull. It's not going to stop the dog from pulling. And it's not okay for the dog to continue pulling, whether it's on a harness or a leash. So please invest some time into getting your dog to learn, uh, working with a professional uh, who does not use yanking on the collar. Work with a professional who doesn't use that uh, to learn, uh, to get your dog uh, to walk without pulling on any equipment. That is three pieces of very spot on advice. Thank you so much. Thank you. I truly hope that you find great value in this podcast and it helps you connect deeper with your wonderful pet companions. 